Amen. Thank you so much for that. Luke chapter 11 this morning, please. Luke chapter number 11. May I just point out, I mentioned something in Sunday school, how different so many of you look this morning versus the way you looked last night. Some of you looked like a really motley crew. I, I told Tracy Schrock, it looked like Omar, Omar looked like he was on the run from the police. I this. He is, he is a very believable 1950s character. Let's go ahead and stand, please. <clears throat> I think that probably more than some of our other uh, themes, you, you rose to the occasion. So, glad for that. <clears throat> uh, Luke chapter 11, and beginning in verse number 1 this morning. <clears throat> And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And he said unto them, When ye pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And we're going to stop there this morning, and let's, let's us pray. Father, thank you that because of the perfections of your Son, and the perfections of his sacrifice. We are able to pray. We are invited to pray. We have such a standing with you that we can enter into your presence and our prayers will be welcomed. Make us then a praying people. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may, of course, be seated. <clears throat> In Luke chapter number 4, anticipating his critics, Jesus said that the people would certainly say to him this proverb, physician, heal thyself. Take a dose of your own medicine. <clears throat> And in Romans chapter 2, Paul asked the Jews if they who taught, taught themselves. And that if you teach against stealing, then it would certainly be unbefitting for you to be a thief in your own right. I thought of those passages as I thought about what I was doing. <clears throat> I just wanted to take a few weeks, and really my plan is to take only four to talk to us about the subject of prayer, and not just talk to us about it, but to 
remind us of its importance, to encourage us to do it, and to point out to you that I'm as in need of my own teaching as you might find yourself in need. We all acknowledge it is important to pray, and few of us feel like our prayer life is anywhere near what it ought to be. In Luke 18, and I'm working a little bit backwards through the Gospels, of course, Jesus argued for persistence in prayer upon the basis, and I'm just going to kind of reduce this to a sentence, upon the basis of the fact that there is coming a day when he will remedy all wrongs. He looked forward to his coming, and when we get into the book of Revelation and his coming, we find that God has been keeping our prayers. And I don't think that's just out of sentiment. I could be wrong, but I don't think our prayers just simply have sentimental value to him. But that our prayers are gathered for his purposes, that he will address them. And so we are to pray persistently in prayer, Because we have confidence that God is bringing about a day in which he will remedy all wrongs. This is a passage on how to pray. Jesus' own prayers in the book of Luke are numerous. Luke in particular, both in the Gospel of Luke and in the book of Acts that he wrote, certainly includes numerous prayers based upon his conviction that they are important in the work of God. People prayed. Jesus prayed. Jesus' people prayed. Jesus prayed at his baptism, Luke 3.21. Jesus withdrew into the wilderness, Luke chapter 5. Jesus prayed all night prior to selecting the 12 apostles. In Luke 9.18, we find him alone praying. He prayed at the transfiguration. In Luke 22, he prayed specifically for Peter's faith to continue. He prayed in Gethsemane. In Luke 23.46, he was praying on the cross. He was certainly a man of prayer, and yet there is something in Luke's text, Luke 11, there is something not about Jesus' faithfulness to prayer, but about John's instruction to his disciples that prompts the disciples to ask Jesus for further instruction. One of the things, folks, and I, I, I really don't want to get into all of this, but Jesus did the vast majority of his praying alone. And somebody has pointed out that there are several places in the book of Acts where the church gathered to pray, and it did. But most praying should be or probably be done alone. Sometimes people point out in Luke 11 that the request is not a how to pray, but just teach us that we ought to pray, teach us to pray. 
But Jesus really gave a how-to answer. He gave us a model. He gave us an example. And my goal, I, I really, my, my intention is to spend four weeks on, on praying, to not, not spend a lengthy time looking at all the prayers and analyzing them, but to rely primarily upon the, on the Gospels to, to orient us around the significance of prayer. We should pray because Jesus has appointed a day when he comes in which he will remedy the things about which we have prayed. And when we do pray, we should learn to pray following a pattern that Christ sets for us. James cautions us against praying amiss. And for him, the main praying amiss is consuming it upon our lust, which may very well touch back upon this passage. So here is, folks, an introduction, a, a kind of paradigm, a format of a way in which we should pray. We pray to the Father because of the work of the Son. We know that. So let's turn our attention to how Jesus responds. First of all, verse number 2. And he said unto them, When ye pray, <clears throat> say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. Not an empty recitation of something we do in church that we all say the Lord's Prayer together. But a model and example for our praying. And here's what I want you to see first of all, folks, that when we pray, we should pray first and foremost for things that concern God. First and foremost for things that concern God. Jesus, teach us to pray. John taught his disciples to pray. Teach us to pray. All right, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray for things that pertain to God. The first is this, hallowed be thy name. This is a prayer. This is not a statement of fact. It is true that God's name is holy. It is true that God's name is sacred. But this is a prayer. How should you and I pray? Right? If, if you were to have, and I'm not saying that you do, I'm not saying that you don't, but if you were to have a written prayer list, if you were to put into a flyleaf of your Bible the things about which you pray, or if you were to keep the Wednesday bulletin as your prayer list, the things about which you pray, at the top of the prayer list should be this, the sanctity of God's name. That should be the first thing that we think about when we have our prayer time. That should be the first thing that comes to our mind. The sanctity of God's name. The word means sacred, venerated, sanctified. John 17, 17. Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. Same word. 1 Corinthians 1, 2. Under the church of God which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. Sanctified be thy name. Sanctify thy name. Peter tells us to sanctify the Lord God in our hearts. To count him, consider him sacred. And, and you'll, to return to Luke 11.2. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And we want to understand that in the distinct Jewish flavor that Jesus would use. 
not in the American way of just having a name. Right? What is your name? <clears throat> but the name being the embodiment of the person, of all that they are. Leviticus 18.21 Thou shalt not let any of thy seed pass through the fire to Molech, neither shalt thou profane, which is the opposite, by the way, of sanctify, the name of thy God, I am the Lord. When you put your children, pass your children through the fire of Molech, whatever that entailed, however that pagan sacrifice operated, folks, what you were doing was violating God's name, the essence of his character. Leviticus 19.12, You shall not swear by my name falsely, neither shalt thou profane the name of thy God. I am the Lord. Leviticus 24.11, And the Israelitish woman's son blasphemed the name of the Lord and cursed and they brought him unto Moses, and his mother's name was Shelemith, the daughter of Dibria, the tribe of Dan. Leviticus 24, 16, He that blasphemeth the name of the Lord, he shall surely be put to death, and all the congregation shall certainly stone him. As well the stranger, as he that is born in the land, when he blasphemeth the name of the Lord, shall be put to death. This is, folks, talking about an insult to God's person. This is the way we are commanded to pray. Jesus, teach me to pray. All right, start here. Start with the sacredness of God's name. Start with praying for this, that we and others would sanctify the greatness of God's name. How God-centered this is, folks. Let me ask you if you would, to, to, to hold your place, we're going to come back to, to Luke Chapter 11. But let me ask you if you would to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 for just a moment. And let's just start in verse number 14, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Let's just look at verse number 14. Paul's talking about either his physical presence with the Lord, home, absent from the body, home with the Lord. For the love of Christ constraineth us, squeezed by God's love for me, is what Paul said. Because we thus judge, that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he died for all, that they which live, right? Life now in Christ. This is our conclusion, Paul writes. Life now in Christ. That they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves. Boy, that is both powerful and convicting. that they which live should not live henceforth unto themselves, but, but unto him which died for them and rose again. 
the world lives for itself. Lost people get out of bed every day with one objective, and that is to live for themselves. To make themselves rich, to make themselves happy, to make themselves fulfilled, to get ahead, whatever it takes, however they view it, they live for themselves. But we who are saved are supposed to get out of bed every day with a completely different orientation to live for him that died for us and rose again. So that this is not some unusual oddity, folks, some religious curiosity that the very first thing that I think about when it is time to pray is the greatness of the name of God. May your name be famous. May your reputation be the one that is known. May all of the glory be to you. You are the one who is worthy. We are the ones who are your servants. We pray first for those things that concern God. Back to Revelation or back to Luke chapter 11. He said unto them, verse number 2, When ye pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Second issue that is concerning God is his kingdom. Thy kingdom come. God's rule has been under assault since the Garden of Eden. Since he created us as a race of people, we have been attacking his rule. And when Jesus instructs that, folks, without getting right, because there's just all kinds of eschatology that deals with here, he's, he's still anticipating it as a future thing, isn't it? Thy kingdom come. Not a statement of fact, the kingdom is here, but a prayer request. May your kingdom come. Which I would understand to be the glorious consummation of all things. Revelation eleven fifteen. the seventh angel sounded. There are great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. But again, my task, your task, is to begin our prayer sessions, to have at the top of our prayer list, the focus of our prayer orientation, are things that concern him. May your name be great. May all the world know your name. May your kingdom come. You alone are worthy of ruling. You know, folks, one of the things we should learn from human history is that every human government ends up proving the same thing, and that is that no humans are worthy of governing. Lots of people want power. Very few people have ever wielded it effectively. Truly, I don't, mean, I don't mean effectively in the sense that they have enriched themselves at somebody else's expense. I mean that they have wielded power as it ought to be wielded. Very few. Very few. And then Jesus says, back to verse number two, when you pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so on earth. The gist is, God's will is done in heaven, may it be done on earth. And just think, folks, about all the times. Right? Just think about, just 
right? And I'm not trying to berate you or belittle you. I'm right here with you. But just think about how much energy we consume trying to do our will. Trying to get accomplished what we want. And I don't mean in the sense of I got to go to work today. I mean we want things. People want things and they work hard to get those things. I just did a brief internet search on slogans associated to this. Here's one we all know. Fake it till you make it. Right? Good poster for the office. Fake it till you make it. If you can dream it, you can do it. Pay the price and earn the prize. Pay the price and earn the prize. How many times, folks, <clears throat> has somebody been telling you what they were going to do? Has it ever happened? It's happened to me a number of times. People are telling me what they're going to do, and I'm just going, that is so out of sync with the Bible, I don't even know where to begin. And then they'll go, and I just really think this is what the Lord wants. I don't think the Lord really wants us ever to do anything when he said contrary to it. We have wills. I, we, we have a will. You're born with will. I have a will. I, there are things that I want. I want them. Sometimes they're not bad things to want. Sometimes they're unnecessary things to want. Sometimes they're sinful things to want. We, we, we are people and we have wills. And into that mix, the Lord has a will. For instance, folks, it has never been the Lord's will for us to tell a deliberate lie. It is not the Lord's will that we would steal, not from him, not from somebody else. It has never been the Lord's will that we would have a lustful thought. It has never been the Lord's will that we are malicious. It has never been the Lord's will that we are busybodies or gossips. And yet when you go through the epistles, you will find God's people doing all of these things. It has never been the Lord's will for his people to be lazy. And yet he has to talk to people about being lazy. And it's never been his will for people to be immoral, but he has to talk to us about our morality. And he has to talk to us about our honesty. And he has to talk, about us, talk to us about our speech. So when we read something like, Thy will be done in heaven as it is in, on earth as it is in heaven, that's a pretty big ask. That's a pretty big ask when you just think about how much time is given to the epistles addressing the fact that churches are filled with people doing things they want to do that God would not want them doing. And again, I am not preaching down to you only in the physical sense of standing a couple of feet above you on the platform. But these are things that concern the Lord to, to really, in our heart of hearts, really want what God wants. What a great model for us Christ is in Gethsemane. Now, Father, if there's any way for this cup to pass, that's my prayer. But at the end of the day, not my will, but yours be done.
So Jesus, Jesus did take his own medicine. Not my will, but thine. These are not, folks, lip service requests. These are not mere words for us to collectively recite. Not that, not that if we did it in sincerity, it would be a bad thing, but that's, Jesus is not adding something here for church liturgy. We will all now say the Lord's Prayer. This is something for us to have in sincerity. That the greatness of God's name be known. Our name doesn't matter. Folks, our name doesn't matter. In fact, when you read through the Old Testament, there are several prophets, at least, maybe even Malachi, because the word Malachi means my messenger, whose names we just don't know. It's God's name that matters. May his name be known. It's God's kingdom that matters. May his kingdom come. It's God's will that matters. May his will be done. And then, secondly, verses 3 and 4, then we may turn our attention even then under constraint to asking for things from God. First, things concerning God and then things that come from God. We ask for ordinary things in ordinary words and in ordinary ways. Verse number three, give us day by day our daily bread. And I put it that way, ordinary things, ordinary words, ordinary ways. Next week, no, not next week. Next week's Christmas. Or it's the first of the year. <clears throat> Is that right? Is it next, next week's Christmas Eve, right? I think next week is Christmas Eve. I'm so confused. I confuse easily these days. You may have noticed that. We will turn our attention to the passage in Matthew in which Jesus rebukes empty words and insincere praying. But we ask for ordinary things and ordinary words and ordinary ways. Give us day by day our daily bread. And, and I want to expand upon that a little bit when we, when we turn our attention to the, to the passage in Matthew. But let me just, let me just I'm just going to, so you'll get a kind of a double dose here. Right? Give us day by day our daily bread. For, for, for many things in this world, God has a process that he employs. Jesus will make the notation in the Gospel of Matthew that God feeds the birds even though they don't sow and they don't reap. It doesn't fall to the animals to plant their crops and to harvest their crops and therefore to eat their crops. God has a way of feeding them. But for us, labor is one of the things that God has for us to get our food. But it's not the only thing. For us folks, there's kind of a three-strand process. One of them is found right here. We ask the Lord to provide for us materially. Give us this day our daily bread. In conjunction with that is that we go out and work for our bread. And in conjunction with that is that we give to God out of the bread that he gives us as recognition of his sovereignty. None of them are interchangeable or substitutes. You don't just pray your way into food and you're not supposed to just work your way into food. 
But for us, it is a three-step process. But here is Jesus giving us one portion of that. He knows what we need. He provides what we need. And yet he tells us to ask for what we need. Give us today our daily bread. Which in a world of prepackaged, refrigerated food with long shelf life, that becomes a little bit of a daunting thing to remember all by itself, isn't it? My daily bread is stored in a freezer and two refrigerators. But it all comes from the hand of the Lord. But we don't just ask of him for ordinary things in ordinary ways. We ask for extraordinary things, things that require supernatural assistance. Verse number four. And forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. For we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. Boy, folks, to ask for forgiveness is one thing, but to extend it is another completely, isn't it? To recognize that we need to be on the receiving end of forgiveness, that's one thing. To grant forgiveness, that is another entirely. And yet it appears that Jesus will not allow us to think about our sins without thinking about our sins comprehensively. God, you forgive me. Well, will you forgive another? I will not. Jesus will tackle that in more detail in another passage, but where does that leave God? And this is not a passage, folks, that talks about earning forgiveness. I earn my forgiveness by forgiving you. This is, Jesus is talking to the apostles. This is a passage that reflects our understanding of what's going on in forgiveness. I mean, we could insert here in the question, right? Here's the statement, all right? This is part of my prayer. Father, forgive me. Even as I forgive those that are indebted to me. And then I think, but I'm not going to forgive those that are indebted to me. Well, why not? Well, because of what they have done to me. Well, how would that look if God posed that question to you? I will not forgive you because of what you have done to me. See, what the, what the, where the finger is being put, folks, is upon our own selfishness, our inherent sinful selfishness that just by nature, by default, is always trying to bubble itself up in supremacy to God. This was where Satan was. I will be like the Most High. This is where our inclinations are always going. We will sit upon God's seat. We will make ourselves the supreme focus of all things. Here is God touching that. There is a supernatural dimension to that. Right? If, that, if Jesus is touching upon my sinful nature, my only hope for my sinful nature is in his salvation, not my human will and resolve. So we ask for extraordinary things and things that require 
supernatural assistance. We know how hard it is for us to forgive when we have been wounded. Do we contemplate that it might be hard for God to forgive? God has forgiven us by laying his sin on his own son. Right? Something that we know in... But let me just take a moment and kind of explore that at the level that it's being addressed here. Forgive us our sins, we forgive. What if forgiving others required you to lay that person's guilt upon one of your children? Right, so you're awakened in the middle of the night by this commotion and this ruckus, and you go to the window and look, and there is your neighbor being put in handcuffs and arrested by the police, and they have been pursuing him because he was driving while intoxicated. And it's your neighbor, and you like your neighbor. And it's a good neighbor. And the judge says to the neighbor, one year in prison, would you send your own child to prison for a year for that person? I'm not saying that I would send my child to prison for a year as a substitute for my neighbor. I'm saying, what kind of emotional commitment would that take? Why would we think that this was in some way easy on God to forgive us by killing his own son. As if just somehow because he's deity, all of those dimensions have no meaning. But I think, folks, that some, sen- some sense of that has to, has to inform the way we read this passage. That the issues that come to me in forgiving you if you have offended me are still on the table when it comes to the fact that I have offended God. This is part of our prayer request. So we ask for ordinary things. Please give me today's food. And we ask for extraordinary things. Please forgive my sins. And we ask for wise things. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. There tend to be a couple of ways of looking at that statement. Right? That that it means to keep us from trouble, or it means to keep us from sin. In 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 8, Timothy prayed and said, I will that men pray everywhere so that we might lead quiet and peaceable lives in all godliness. So it is not a bad thing to pray and ask the Lord to keep us from trouble. But I don't know that it's a bad thing to pray and ask the Lord to keep me from evil since by my nature I tend to be oriented towards evil 
The, the new nature is in a never-ending struggle with the old nature about that very thing. So I don't know that it's, there's any burning requirement, folks, to come to a conclusion it's one or the other because it's legitimate to ask God for both. Not that the Lord would ever lead you into doing wrong. All right? let me, this, let me, right? and, and James is very clear about that. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. God cannot be tempted with evil. And he doesn't tempt us with evil. That doesn't change the fact that I can be tempted with evil. And it doesn't change the fact that my helper is my savior. I think it's a wise thing to lay it out before the Lord and ask him as a matter of course to protect us from ourselves. The God who knows me better than I know myself knows the best way to keep me safe from myself. So it's good to pray, folks, not only with an awareness of who God is, but with who we are. And so Jesus said, <clears throat> pray. Lord, teach us to pray. Okay, I'm going to teach you to pray. And the rest of it, folks, and I'm not trying in any way to demean it, right? but what Jesus does beginning in verse number 5 is once again give an illustration pointing out that he is in the business of answering earnest prayer properly. That he's not teaching us to pray with one hand and then with the other, taking away those prayer requests and those answers. But that his vested interest is in helping his people. So pray. <clears throat> pray in the confidence that God has a day appointed in which he will remedy all ills. Second coming. And pray according to the instruction that he has given, that we pray, first of all, oriented towards the Lord himself, the greatness of his name and his kingdom and his will. And then ourselves. And you notice here that, that praying for others, which is something we tend to spend a lot of time asking people to do, is not even on this list. Give me daily food. Forgive me. Lead me not into temptation. It's not selfishness. It's the, right? It's the it's the it's the only realm that that we have any real ability to have anything to do. We certainly ask the Lord for others. I don't want to get into that. We'll 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 get into that at a later time. When they ask for instruction to pray, pray. Pray for things that concern me. Pray for things that concern you. So, let's pray. Father, teach us to pray. Teach us the value of praying. Teach us the practice of praying. Praying in sincerity. But praying in faith. in the belief that the power is yours and the will is yours and if the answer isn't today there is a day coming 
in which these things will be addressed. May we be people who pray. In Jesus' name, amen.